0: download the anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started hello and welcome to the nobody likes casey mclean podcast we're back again for another week um i've had a uh, i've had a fun week of comedy before i before i get into that uh by the way i did get some good feedback on the on the episode about norm mcdonald and i appreciate that i like if you're uh you know, if you like the podcast or don't like the podcast, I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear why. Um I didn't think it was that great. I didn't think it was that great. I was uh you know, I'm these are getting looser. I'm really digging into the nobody likes Casey McClain thing, and I'm not booking guests right now. Not out of like some principle. It's just, you know, life life is difficult. Uh we have the aforementioned daycare issue. I'm in a in a child care bind. Right now, so life is difficult. I'm trying to, to balance family life and comedy and this podcast. And <sighs> My sister just moved back from Chicago, which is great news. I'm happy about that. It couldn't happen at a better time, by the way. But um, thank you for the, for the feedback on that. And if you do like this podcast, I would love it if you shared it with somebody. Retweet when I tweet about it or whatever. And uh, more than anything, the reason I do the podcast is so that you'll come out and see me do stand-up comedy live. So every Wednesday, pretty much, although I think once a month I'm going to pass the room off to a, to an outside producer, but every Wednesday at Airport Tavern, there will be comedy available on um, all but one of the weeks each month. There should be a, uh, it's it'll be free admission. You can get him for free and then... Once a month, we will have a, a headliner, sometimes from out of town, sometimes maybe from in town, but performing, and it'll cost a little bit of money. That's okay. All right. Uh, so, oh, yeah, come see me do stand-up. I am, so every Wednesday at Airport Tavern, I'm also, let's pull up the old calendar like a professional. I have the calendar completely inaccessible. As of right now, let's see. Come on, baby. Come on, baby. Um, September twenty fourth, i will be a dog days brewing in Bremerton. September twenty fifth, I will be at Maltby Pizza in Maltby, Washington. That is a uh, recent development. Um, September or October second, I'll be at my pal Taylor Bonzer's wedding. If you uh, if you know Taylor Bonzer, give him a shout out. Good fella. He's, uh, he's on, uh, he's on Twitter and I think all social media as Taylor Bonzer, And then I will be in Muckle Teo on October 7th. I will be, um, what else? Do you have any other big dates coming up? I'll be in Burien on, uh, October 17th. And then Montana, I'm headlining four nights in Montana Starting in on the 27th, October 27th, I will be in Big Sky. Then 28th, I'll be in Billings. And then the 30th, I will be at this new stand-up comedy club in Bozeman, Montana, called Last Best Comedy. And I'm trying to find a date for the 29th. It might be in Helena. It might be in Butte. We're going to probably have a show that night because I cannot justify leaving my family and being gone on a, on a school night on a work night for my wife and not, um, and not, (laughs) not doing comedy. Uh, so please come out to that. And then November, another big one. Uh, I'll be in Lincoln city, Oregon, October 12th through 13th. I might make a stop in Portland on the way, by the way, uh, October 18th through 20th. I'll be at skyline comedy club, Um, and then this might get canceled because I might have another gig coming through, but November 28th, I will be headlining Tacoma Comedy Club's brunch show. So come on out to that if you're available. I think you could probably get in there. And then I have a tentative Moses Lake, Washington date, November 10th or sorry, December 10th, which is only tentative because, um, the fucking still call me pass. Local traffic. That's what this podcast is about. Local traffic. All right. So I did a show this weekend with a dude named J.P. Sears, who's very famous, but maybe not popular in the Pacific Northwest, though I say not popular. He did sell out two shows at the uh, historic Everett Theater in Everett, Washington, 800 seats a piece. Uh, I was there with Josh Firestein. also. He, he, uh, he middled one show. I middled one show. I sold, you know, like $500 in merch. It was a great financially, a really, a really fun night. Um, but I'm gonna, i want to, I want to talk about this. JP Sears appeals to a conservative audience. I think J.P. Sears is like a true libertarian and not necessarily like a hardcore conservative. He has, um, I think he got famous doing like yoga videos. He's got these sketches and he does, you know, like mindfulness stuff. He's not like your classic hardcore conservative. And he's actually, by the way, I will say this, like an extremely nice dude. He didn't, it wasn't like super political in the green room. Um, And I would bet you know, we didn't get into politics and I'm not, I'm not like a longtime viewer of his work. I'd bet he and I disagree a fair amount on not only the way we should be using the data, but the, what the data means and the science means and what the, what the source of information is on, um, on like this, you know, this pandemic. I just had to turn the volume down so I could sniff. I hope that didn't come through. Sometimes it'll bleed onto another channel, so you might have just heard me uh, heard me sniff. So I, what I think is interesting is, so this is, first off, I'm a bearded white dude in a flannel shirt and a baseball hat performing with J.P. Sears. After the show, I think a lot of people pretty much assumed that I was on their side that I was a right-leaning or, you know, in some cases, some of these people are, like, far right. But I don't think that's true of most of them. I think that's, this is like, we do this, like, cartoonish characterization of people that we disagree with. And I don't think most conservatives are, like, far right. In fact, even that term, like, alt-right, what I've noticed is it's starting to just get applied to, like, even people who are probably left of, like, Republicans that don't necessarily fit directly. Because I know a lot of people who are, like, you know, probably vote probably vote uh, Republican, but some of the, like, classic early 2000s liberal conservative issues, they're very much socially liberal on. So I guess... I haven't by the way, I haven't gotten any shit from any comedians for working with JP Sears at all. But I do suspect that there's probably some some hand-wringing, some unhappiness that I work with JP Sears. And I've talked about this before on this podcast and I, I'll just reiterate it, I guess. I think that if given the opportunity to work with Louis CK, I would do it. And it's not because I don't think that Louis did anything wrong, which is like a common refrain. But I think that for me, my level of comfort is, I don't think he's a uh, person who's a threat to other people. He apologized to the people who he affected personally. He also apologized publicly. He also stopped doing the thing. um, Like the latest reports of his misconduct or 12 years before. So the the local comedy community... Seattle has not forgiven Louis CK and you know, some of them never will. And that's not, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to fault anyone for their, for their, uh, their threshold for what's okay. I mean, there's people who still think that, that I had a great example of this a couple of years ago. I brought it to my friend. I was like, Hey man, do you remember the Duke lacrosse team? And he's like, Oh yeah, that, that, uh, lacrosse team that raped the strippers. And I was like, "Oh, so you are not aware that they were acquitted, that the charges were dropped." And he's like, "Oh, no, I had no idea." People people don't want to examine their own beliefs. I think that's true of <laughs> I think it's true of conservatives and the uh vaccine data or the pandemic data. You know, I remember very early on a friend of mine who's a conservative, was posting pictures of the stickers that were on the floor, like the X's. This is where you need to stand. We need to be six feet apart in the grocery store. This is pre-mask. And he was making fun of that stuff. And some people, I don't think this guy, but some people, they dug in so hard at the beginning that they cannot bring themselves to undig themselves, to dig themselves out. And so I think it's happened with Louis CK, it's happened with Chris Hardwick, it's happened with um it's happened with Aziz Ansari. These things where we're like, well, we just and this is this is the, the challenge of like not considering nuances, like you'll hear like Louis CK get brought up in the same breath as Bill Cosby. Or you'll hear Aziz Ansari even get brought up in the same breath as Luis C.K. which these the actions as documented are very different and not, you know, of varying severity etc cetera, etc. Cetera. So my point is um I'm going to work with who, who I work with and I'm at this point pretty okay with the idea that some people may not like it. Most people probably won't even notice. Some people might not like it, and I don't have to disagree or I don't have to agree with – I don't need to do like an ideological background check on every comedian that I work with. You know what I mean? I understand that like certain places, certain comedy rooms and clubs, um, there's probably kind of a pre-selection to have someone even interested in working there. And in that case, like those places aren't booking me anyway. I'd love to I'd love to be working more like you know, I guess like alt rooms or whatever. There's a there's a show in Seattle that I've tried to get on since I started comedy and I can't get a guest spot on this goddamn show. And there's comics of my of similar I and mean, people who I agree with quite a bit off mic <laughs> who who get booked there quite a bit, but I don't want to blow up them. So I work with JP Sears and it was fun. He uh he like I said, he appeals to a conservative audience. He had there was a meet and greet, and he had I mean literally I was taking a picture and a woman was crying. She was so touched that he came to Everett. And I guess for me, my instinct is never to just immediately write these people who I disagree with off as Garbage. For me, I always try to think about like, how does a how does a hard like a you know far left liberal living in Alabama feel when Tignataro comes to town, or whoever the when Sarah Silverman or um, um Greg Proops comes to Alabama. Maybe none of those people have ever stepped foot in Alabama, by the way, but these people who feel unrepresented by their local government or in their local communities, they have no peers or very few peers. They feel lonely and isolated. I could see, I can see why that would be emotional for a conservative person. So I had empathy and they were a good crowd. It is funny, like the stupid things that they, that they, um, (laughs) that they respond to that every crowd has those things there's like pandering things that that they respond to this is why i want for my fan base to be both and by the way my fan base i'd like to just have them exist i think would be the first step but ultimately i would like to have a fan base that's like truly diverse not not meaning like full of ethnic minorities but like some some a representative amount of ethnic minorities i'd like political uh, diversity, ideological diversity, income diversity. I mean, you know, rich people, let's, let's, uh, bump up those merch purchases, but, you know, buy some for the poor people around you. But here I am, the AOC of podcasts, tax the rich with merch. So, um, yeah, I guess I guess in the same way that like I would like my comedy to work for black people and white people, I'd like my comedy to work for liberals and conservatives. And this was a good test of that. It did well. Uh okay, I think I'm I'm going to be relatively short on time, so I'm going to I'm going to get through these these topics kind of quickly. Uh San Francisco mayor Oh no, let's not talk about that. We'll talk about if Oh man, I, now I'm wasting time considering what to even talk about because London Breed, fuck, we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it because I got I have uh, I have funnier personal stories to tell. But let's let's look up this London Breed video real quick. London London Breed is the San Francisco mayor, and she was at a uh, a uh, concert. Let's see what's the what's the band called? I don't want to mess it up because. Yeah, Tony, Tony, Tony. Okay, so she was at a concert, and then she was interviewed about being there maskless and taking pictures maskless. And I'd like to get, I'd like to get the um, the interview. Oh, here it is.
1: At the Black Cat, and I—I right had a good time at the Black Cat, and I think it's sad that um, this is even a story. Um, The fact is, um, there was something that was really um, monumental that occurred. And that is Tony, 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 the original members, the brothers, Rafael Sadiq and Dwayne Wiggins, who have not performed in public for, I believe, at least over 20 years. They are just really um, some of the most incredible artists. In the history
0: of... So this is... uh, What's funny about this to me is that you see this person, this politician, who's giving canned responses pretty much all day. She's just a huge fan of this band. Like, she's... I, I can relate. I think everybody should be able to relate to what she's feeling, the things we're missing out on, the things we love about live entertainment. The problem is... Is that she's been restricting people from doing those things through mandate or laws? Maybe just mandate for eighteen months. And this isn't the first time she's she's broken her own mandates. And I'll go to the go to the end because there's one part that really is funny. wearing
1: a mask. Okay, so just to be clear, um, um, I was sitting at my table, and when I don't know about you, and whether or not you know who Raphael Sadiq And Dwayne Wiggins are, but I don't know about you, but if you know who they are, I don't care where you're sitting. You're going to get up and start dancing. My drink was sitting at the table. I got up and started dancing because I was feeling the spirit. And I.
0: So this is the, I mean, that's like the, 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 it's a six minute video, by the way. I don't know how I managed to fast forward to the exact right point, but. That's the that's I think the funniest line in the whole video. Uh London breed is an h- enormous hypocrite. There's no doubt about that. I can empathize with her but she's an enormous hypocrite. She is the person in power. She is the person in power. Also, she's talking about it like she's got a little bit of contact high from a music festival still. Like she's not incredibly eloquent in describing this moment, but she is describing a thing again that she's been depriving people of. I I could empathize a lot more if she if she hadn't been depriving people of that exact experience this is to go back to last week some of the stuff from last week these none of these people are our friends london breed isn't our friend she's not our our uh representative she's like most politicians she's bought and paid for her vote is bought and paid for her policies are bought and paid for that's not your friend london breed isn't isn't representing the people Um, in a way she is and actually a way through being like a massive hypocrite and also, um, being overtaken, having your own good sense overtaken by the joy that you want to feel in that way she is representing the people, but she's also, there's a, there's a hierarchy of, of, I mean, again, it's like, if, if this was happening, if a, if a conservative politician did this, we'd be shitting our pants, right? All right. Cole Beasley, uh, wide receiver for the Buffalo Bills, formerly of the Cowboys, noted anti-vaxxer, has said to some fans that he will pay for them, pay for their ticket to go see him at opposing games or at, uh, at away games because the Buffalo Bills are uh, mandating vaccination. To come into their stadium, whatever their stadium is called, Ralph Wilson. That's if that is their stadium. It's very likely the old stadium. Um, I think Cole Beasley's uninformed, and I, I think like, like I said earlier, I probably disagree with JP Sears on stuff on a lot of stuff. Um, the vaccine's working. In fact, the FDA. I think. I think the FDA recently said that we don't even need a. Most people don't need a booster shot. Although I think that's evolving. Like, the vaccine's working. Most of the people... I think that the, if we're being honest with ourselves, if you're a pro-vaccine person, which I am, I was thrilled to take the vaccine to to gain some safety against this and maybe give myself some peace of mind when I'm out doing comedy or eating at restaurants or drinking at bars or whatever. But if we're honest with ourselves, the vaccine's performance... Is disappointing. It can still be very effective, substantially more effective than not being vaccinated. And also, we should be able to admit that it's like a little bit disappointing, but we're in this thing. We're so goddamn dug in partisan on a partisan scale that uh, or on a partisan spectrum that we can't give an inch because if we give an inch, they'll take a mile. Well, the truth is, I'm a little disappointed with the vaccine's performance. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't work. That doesn't mean that it's not working. It's not working as well as I thought it would based on the information that was available. I still think it was worth taking. It still represents an enormous immunity shield for people. I mean, we're at over, I think we're at 60% of the country's vaccinated. They just approved it for kids 5 to 11, I believe. Or they're on the verge of approving it. And so we're going to, that number will bump up. I don't, I mean, I think we've probably given every, every adult the vaccine that wants it at this point, or most of them. So, I mean, even then we're at like 60%, like 98% of the nation's hospitalizations are unvaccinated people, something like that. And as a country we are way more open. Unfortunately what happens is we get so insulated into the places that we live. We're all we're all um, one of my one of my least favorite things that uh liberals sometimes do is they make fun of conservatives for not traveling outside of their their state when a lot of these people don't leave their borough on a regular basis or they don't leave their neighborhood on a regular basis. And uh it can be it can so my friend, one of my friends lives in Georgia and he's like, dude, we never closed. Well, if you live in that situation where you never closed, this doesn't feel that much more open this year. But last year, this time I could tell you in Washington state, we were fucking shut down. It is way different this year than it was last year. And it's better. It's like, I'm living life, having fun. I do know, uh, through friends, some friends of friends or a friend of a friend is, uh, on a ventilator in his thirties or maybe early forties, presumably unvaccinated. Like this is, but at this point it's those people's decision. It's, it's uh most people are eligible to get the vaccine. I'm pretty, I don't really buy into this, like this idea that there's that many people who, I mean, they were prioritizing the vaccine for immunocompromised people. So who's not able to get the vaccine and how many of them are there? And, and, how much do we need to? I'm, I'm I'm sympathetic to that stuff, and we should stay open. But there's no doubt the data shows that the vaccine is working better. Okay, I guess. Oh, to go into that, there's a there's because a, I gotta fuck. I should have done this with no time constraint because I only have like eight minutes left. Um, Breitbart put out an article that I thought was pretty funny. And I actually think might – I always try to think of things in terms of like if this was propaganda, what is the point? And uh, Breitbart put out an article about how the vaccine, how they think that liberals made the vaccine seem like a partisan issue so that conservatives wouldn't take it, to kill conservatives. And it's obviously like a crazy, hilarious take, but I don't believe Breitbart to be like a news source or a a thoroughly vetted source of opinion pieces. I think it's possible that Breitbart wrote this so that the far right, the furthest right people, in a, in a show of humanitarianism, Breitbart might be trying to get its conservative readers vaccinated. And if they have to... If they had, it's like a bullet board, uh bullet board, if they have to pump themselves up in some way to do it, go ahead and do it. Okay. We'll move on from that. Just two more things I want to talk about. Uh, a couple, a couple months ago, maybe six months ago or nine months ago, a dude named Seth Simons, who's a, a comedy journalist, wrote this article about an alt-right problem in comedy, about Nazism in comedy and all this stuff. And he heavily... Sourced an anonymous source, he claimed it to be verified. that person went by the pseudonym I think pseudonym Thomas Apostle and Thomas Apostle planted the key facts that led to this story being written. um the story accused a New York club owner of of being a like a commenter that was you know. Very anti, uh, Seth Simons and threatening to dox him and all that stuff. And turns out it's all bullshit. It was all this troll and Seth Simons, as he has done many times when he, when he's faced with his own hypocrisy has made his account private, he's deleting tweets and all that stuff. And I think it's, first off, I think it's embarrassing that we know the name of a comedy journalist. But how many of us know the name of, like, a local news columnist? Not very many. I don't know who's a local news call. I'm I'm part of the problem. I'm not saying I'm any better. This dude, it's embarrassing that we care this much about this guy. It's embarrassing that this guy has this much impact on comedy. It's It's embarrassing that comedy would allow someone to... To move the needle that is not associated with comedy in any way. An individual, crowds can move the needle for sure. So I mean I I think this dude is just getting further and further. He's losing credibility left and right, and as he should, fully deserved. Uh, no retraction issued by him. I do think that the the news source, which is the New Republic, might have issued some sort of retraction or apology and then finally okay we're gonna do it oh fuck i have two things i want to talk about god damn it okay the other day i had a very funny moment in comedy you don't i have i have uh enemies (laughs) this is so stupid i have enemies in comedy when you think when you're a kid and you think of like an arch nemesis or an enemy you think it's going to be like an action movie or a cartoon where it's like someone who's plotting against you and you're you're uh, you are have these dramatic public battles. And I have some em- enemies in comedy. I do. Uh, not very many. I think I do a pretty good job of, of not creating enemies. But I do. I have a couple enemies in comedy, and they happen to live in the same city as I do. And the other day, I was walking down the street with my wife, my sister, my brother-in-law, her uh, her fiancé, um, and my daughter in a wagon. We're all smiling and laughing, and my daughter my wife is trying to make my daughter laugh and all that. And I noticed these people like a block and a half away just being really weird, and I was like, oh, that that dude looks familiar. And we get closer, and these people like weirdly duck into the alley. And then they come out and they're like frantically trying to put on their masks and blast past us. And what I realized is that those people are my fucking enemies. <laughs> And I don't care. I'm not, I would be like, I'd be willing to be friendly with these people or to be, be at least fucking civil, but they are such cowards that they had to duck into this alley, throw on their masks and, uh, and try to, you know, try to avoid eye contact. And, um, we're not going to be friends, but it made me laugh so hard to my, my brother in law was, he was like, the fuck was up with those people. And I explained the story and he's like, oh man, I wish it was just, they, they hated you for no reason. That would be way funnier. And then, okay, finally, this is the last the last thing I'll talk about um Jeff Di is a Seattle native. He's a comedian that lives in Los Angeles. He shared a poster for a comedy show that happens in Seattle uh he shared it, I will say without the identifying like there was no address, there was no website there was no no comic tagged in it. there was nothing to connect it back to the people on the poster except for the fact that their pictures were on the poster and he tweeted like this is a real show with like a crying laughing emoji and the show is called men aren't funny and it's a women and trans women focused show maybe maybe even trans men but the the point is it's it's women focused, um, women with the xi am I, th- I'm, I'm not even being like funny. I'm not, I think that means that it includes the show includes trans women and non, non binary people and whatnot, but I'm not trying to do that. I'm not trying to get into that part of it. Uh, as you would expect a lot of local comedians got angry at Jeff die for this. Um, especially the comics that were on the show got mad and, and ultimately, as I understand it, the show ended up, and I I don't know if this is, was already the case or if this is a result as a rallying cry, but it sold out. The show, two shows in one night on like a fucking Thursday. So a seven and a 9 PM show sold out, which is, I mean, that's pretty remarkable for that, that time on that day. Absolutely. Jeff Dye was trying to be an asshole. There's no doubt about that. He was trying to be an asshole and he succeeded. Um I don't really have a problem. This is, I guess this is my what I my take on this. My much sought after the straight white guys finally going to give his take on the all women comedy show. There's a lot of data, not a lot of data. Maria Bamford put together a database uh, a couple years ago that showed the composition of bookings at like 55 clubs over the course of 90 days in this country by gender by race by sexuality etc white dudes represented like 60% of all comedy bookings headliners on down white dudes represented about 60% black dudes represented uh 22% of all bookings i think and I think it was like 24% of headliners were black dudes. So that leaves a, vi- a much smaller chunk of the pie for women. Without getting into the like, are, how many women are doing open mics? What is the pipeline of female comedians look like? I don't really want to, I don't think that's incredibly important for this. I mean, you can look all that stuff up and you can go to an open mic and I can tell you that it's very predominantly male. There's no doubt about that. Most open mics there's a lot more men doing comedy than women, and as a result, there's more men booked on shows um whether or not it's proportionate with the amount of men doing open mics, whatever blah 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 blah, who gives a shit? The point is it's harder it's harder for women to break into comedy is my suspicion and the and the information I've collected from friends of mine that are women that do comedy. It's harder. It's harder to break into comedy, not because it's harder to get booked necessarily, but because there's a lot of shit that goes with comedy that's that's fucking scary. That as a man you don't have to worry about. I don't have to worry about you know being uh, sexually assaulted while I'm walking to my car. This is a real fear for um, for female comedians. It's incredibly difficult, and also. Frankly, a lot of audiences on average, I think, are kind of fucking sexist and they're kind of racist. And I don't think they're racist really against black dudes. I think that's like, a, you know, some of the most beloved comedians by all races are black dudes. Dave Chappelle, Richard Pryor, uh, Red Fox, Patrice O'Neill, like these the, Chris Rock. These guys are fucking beloved. So I don't think it's racist in that way. I do. I do think like white dudes are white. Audience predominantly white audiences. Comedy audiences on average probably aren't super into hearing from uh an Asian woman, say. It's it's uh this is why you'll see like um what's his name? Fuck. Oh my god, why can't I think of his name? The dude, he's a Filipino comic. Come on, Joe Coy. Joe Coy comes to Tacoma. He can sell a small arena in this area because there's not a lot of people out there representing, like, Filipino voices in comedy. But there are a lot of Filipinos. <laughs> so he can sell an arena full of Filipinos in this area because he's the only one speaking, kind of, to go back to the J.P. Sears thing. He's the only one, you know, maybe telling a story that they relate to. And there's a there's a population of people who would like to hear that story told on stage here. Okay. So that all being said, that's 4 minutes of qualification to get to this point. The name Women are or Men Aren't Funny. First off, it's a play on Women Aren't Funny, which is the name of a um, a documentary by Bonnie McFarlane and Rich Voss that I actually haven't watched, but it's considered pretty good. Um The show title is meant to create this response. Kind of in the same way that a podcast called Nobody Likes Casey McLean is not named that on accident. This is the intention. It may not be that a famous person makes fun of it, but I think that's, yeah, ultimately it's meant to be inflammatory and divisive. So it worked. It worked. Inflammatory, divisive, and a rallying cry. And that's why, you know, that's it's intentional, so that some people will see it and go, this is, a show that I need to go to. Some people see it and get mad. And then these producers pretend like they don't care if people get mad, except for they do care if people get mad. And we're a witness to it right now. People are very mad about this in the area. Now, again, Jeff Die absolutely being an asshole. Um, I think that there's no reason we should be mad, in my opinion, as comedians or as comedy watchers, that there is a show that is – geared towards women so that women, female audience members or male audience members can hear the perspective of a female comedian. I think that's, that's good. I've worked with some, maybe my favorite weekend of comedy was working with Megan Gailey, who's a fucking monster, by the way, she's a crusher. And she was on a, on a past podcast guest, Monica Nevy's podcast. Uh, fuck dumb pitches on um the helium podcast network so go check that out by the way because they're both very funny and they're both past podcast guests of this podcast by the way i might i might start dumping some past episodes and, and limit it to five and actually try to make the patreon thing work by the way but what's going on here do we have a problem okay somehow the bluetooth started making noise i don't have a ton of i'm not like brimming with sympathy That this show didn't work out, that this title didn't work out exactly the way they wanted. But I do think it's difficult for women to... So, here's my opinion. The show is good. The show is fine. The show is not discrimination in a way that's meaningful that we should be mad about. In my opinion. But the name is obviously meant to piss off the people that are pissed off. And to pretend like that wasn't the intention... And to get all mad is, I think, disingenuous. So, okay, thank you for listening to this podcast. I got to get off of here. Um, I have other shit to do. Thank you for listening. Please uh, follow me at DKC McLean on all social media platforms. If you're on a social media platform and I'm not there, and I'm not talking about you, uh, what's that one called? Um, this would be better if I could. Oh, god damn it! The oh, this is no good. Parlor. Parlay. I think it's actually supposed to be parlay. Not talking about you parlor or the other one. Rumble, maybe rumble, uh, which that's the, is that gay bumble? (laughs) Okay. Thank you for listening to this uh, podcast. Um, come see me do stand up. Bye.